This episode of Not Your Business is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so just enjoy the show. This is Not Your Business. I'm Jake Grafstein, and today I'm joined by my first guest, Max Temkin, co-creator of Cards Against Humanity. Thanks for joining us, Max. Thanks for having me. It's so, exciting. So you are literally the very first person on the podcast. Yeah, it's always nice to uh, lower the expectations at the beginning, right? Because it's all uphill from here. All the future guests will be uh, funnier and more interesting than me. Uh, Max, for those of us that are listening that do not know what Cards Against Humanity is, can you <clears throat> give us a brief overview of what your company is and what the product is? Well, first of all, thank God there are still people who don't know what Cards Against Humanity is because I want to keep selling this thing. Uh, so that makes me very happy. Uh, but uh, for people who don't know, Cards Against Humanity is a uh, it's a comedy party game. We call it a party game for horrible people. Uh, it's a very simple game. So um, essentially one player asks a question or a fill-in-the-blank phrase to the group, and the group answers with the funniest uh, card in their hand, and uh, the humor can range from sort of absurd or political to uh, shocking um, and... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a it's been a popular game. Uh, it's done very well. We sell it on the internet, and uh, those are all the facts. So where can they find it? Cardsagainsthumanity.com. Uh, you know, put it in Google. They'll figure it out. A dot org. Do you have a dot net? Uh, we may. I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I don't know. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, we may not have forgotten to get those. Okay, uh, cool. But definitely at cardsagainsthumanity.com, or just search for it. So it's a tabletop game, and the company that you run... In fact, I believe if you type the word card into Google, it will autocomplete Cards Against Humanity. Not Cardinal Sin? Uh, that may be on there as well, yeah. Okay, one <laughs> yeah. or the other. Yeah, St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, we're up there. We're a big card. We're going to try that at the end of the podcast. We're just going to start typing C, then CA, and see at what level you get Cards Against Humanity. Yeah. Well, it it's a really popular game. It blew up. I've played it many times. Can you give us a history on the company itself, as well as the people that started it and the process that got you here to owning and running this company? Sure. Wait, I'm going to take a break to cough. For sure. <coughs> I'll cough, too. Okay, I'll good. cough, too, to people. Okay. That's good stuff. Okay. Uh, do you want the do you want the um, uh, 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 the abbreviated uh, interesting history or the long boring history? I would love whatever you're comfortable giving, but really what I'm looking for is for us to understand you're a business owner. How did you get here? Okay. So you want the uh, the origin story? Indeed. Okay. So uh, I have to go back a little bit before cards. I won't do the long boring version. No one wants to hear that. But uh, it goes back for me personally. It goes back a little bit before cards. So when I was in college, my friends and I, yeah, I went to a very small school, and it was uh, it was in a suburb of Baltimore called Towson, and everybody lived on campus. And there wasn't, I mean, it was a, I had a wonderful time in school, but also one of the the things was like there wasn't a lot to do. We had to make our own fun, and for me and my friends, that was like we did very well in that environment. That's why we started making games, we started making art, and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but uh, one day we had all of these uh, Nerf guns. And we had sort of played Assassins and all these other games. And we were like, we want to make something, you know, really fun. <clears throat> and, our, and it would be really funny to see one kid being chased by 50 kids across the quad. Like, that would just be a funny image to create at the school. So we invented this game uh, called Humans vs. Zombies. Or uh, rather, my, my friends uh, uh, Brad uh, Sappington and Chris Weed created uh, the first version of Humans vs. Zombies. I played in the first game. And then, like, immediately I was totally taken with it. It's this big game of tag. It lasts a week. It's really intense. Like people kind of track you down. The zombies all try and tag the humans, and the humans can like defend themselves with Nerf guns. So you were taken with the game itself, or also the process of creating games. The whole, yeah, the whole thing. So the first game was like it was really kind of raggedy. It was like they ran it in, in like an Excel sheet, and it was all done over email, like t being t you know being able to tell what team you were. Like the whole thing was very sort of like this ramshackle, like all put together at the last second. And I was like, man, I feel like this is like a thing like I want to be a part of this so I started working on it with them and then the, the rest of the game was sort of developed um, by by us and then a, a few other friends at school and uh, by the time we graduated we had gone from like 70 kids played in the first game to like a third or half of the school was playing in every game and then it, we put the rules online and this was like right when Facebook hit so it was right when people got Facebook and um, by the time we graduated like through Facebook and social media and, and all of that stuff kind of becoming a big part of people's lives, 
uh, like 700 colleges and universities and military bases and public libraries and institutions all over the world were playing Humans vs. Zombies, and they were using the software that we made to organize the game, and we, we found ourselves at the center of this thing. That's a lot of zombies. Yeah, it was very, it was crazy. Um, so it was sort of like a, a right place, right time thing, and also like it was just fun being like, hey, we took this one very simple free idea and blew it up. Like we, we found this thing that brought all this joy to all of these people. Um, so, you know, we, the other thing was we never found a way to make any money on that. So we were all, you know, at the time I was working in politics, I worked on the 2008 uh, Obama campaign, which I also... Did he win? I don't he, remember. He did win. In fact, you now know him as president of the United States of America, Barack Obama. Oh, that's that guy. So many people listen to this podcast in the next 12 months. God, I yeah. just saw him on Comedians in Cars. That's who that was. That, yeah, that guy. That yeah. guy. If you're listening to this podcast... Uh, after 12 months from now, uh, you would know the president as president of the United States, Donald Trump. Right, right, yeah. right. Uh, so Donald Bernie Sanders Trump when they uh, yeah. prove that they're the same person. I've never seen him in the same room. So Oh, that's interesting. It's just one angry old man. Right, it's one guy. Okay, he's good. That's my theory, by the yeah, way. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah, he's a good character. Loved actor. him in uh, Grumpy Old Men. 12 Angry Men, I think he led yeah. in as well. That's right. Um, so you worked on Obama's campaign. Is that what you studied in college was politics? Uh, I went to school. In fact, I wound up in, in, in school at Baltimore because I wanted to do political science and, and be part, you know, be close to D.C. and be working political campaigns. Uh, but what happened was I started actually working on campaigns, and then I pretty quickly realized um, that what I was learning in the classroom about political science and what I was like doing in my job where I was getting paid to work on campaigns they had nothing to do with each other. They were totally separate uh, from each other. So I switched, I wound up switching my major to philosophy, which was more of what I was interested in because it was like, well, I can figure out how to do politics by, you know, people will teach me this stuff. Uh, you know, you just sort of show up and, and do the campaign. But philosophy was way more concerned with like, well, you know, granted you can learn how to win a political campaign, but what are the right things to believe in? Like, how do you think about it? How do you defend your position? How do you make a logical argument? How do you read something critically and take it apart? So those were those were skills that I I liked a lot more, and it turned and also like philosophy was for me once I got to college and I, I had the chance to like learn about philosophy like this isn't something that was we went to a good we went to high school together yeah for those listeners yeah. uh, Max is not only my first guest but he's a friend from high school that is accurate same high school up north Highland Park High School that go Giants is that right Giants go Giants or is it Eagles that might be Edgewood it's the Edgewood Eagles for okay. sure okay Edgewood yeah. Eagles Highland Park Giants um but uh, you know you don't get to learn any of that cool stuff in, in Highland Park Highland Park's like a great school but when it, suddenly when I got to college and I could take like a philosophy class I was like oh this is learning I was like this is the good stuff this is like this this is like the good shit that they wouldn't give you can I, cur- can I cuss you I, you're encouraged in okay. fact I'm surprised you haven't yet okay. sorry I feel bad I should have asked before but anyway I was like this is the good shit this is the shit they didn't give us in high school I was like this is the good like dangerous knowledge of like really how to know stuff right um, and so I just became like a huge philosophy nerd and that that actually has been I've been surprised that's that's paid off in, in the sense of like uh, leading to life skills. This is going to sound slightly like a trick question, but I assure you it is not. How is the philosophy knowledge, or at least understanding of philosophy, integrated into creating Cards Against Humanity? Um, <clears throat> well, the first thing is, um, so I, I, so okay. Well, here this is interesting. So I have no background in comedy. My only background in comedy is in I watch a lot of comedy, right? I consume a lot of comedy. I'm a nerd about it, and I've always liked it since I was a kid. But I've never taken improv classes. I've never performed. It's just I don't have a background in it. And Got suddenly it. when we started working on cards, um, uh, which I can fill in that that gap of the story in a second. But w- once we had started working on cards, it was like we found ourselves in this position of like, how do you write comedy? I guess you have to like look at the world <clears throat> and find things that are f- weird or in- incongruous or unfair. I don't know. It's like you have to find those things that have that emotional thing. And and then that's the joke is that tension of the thing that doesn't make sense in the world. That becomes the joke. So philosophy is um, to me, it's sort of this like it's an adjacent skill set to comedy of it's this way that you look at the world and you're like, wait a minute, these things don't make sense. Like if I just logically think through this, there's all these problems. See, now that's fairly refreshing, especially because for those that have played Cards Against Humanity, a lot of the cards tend to feel like they're the comedic element is shock or underlying crudeness or something. And they have such a large payoff and there's a formulaic or at least well thought out reason behind that. 
Yeah, <clears throat> the, we actually track the composition of the game by topic um, using a variety of like scienti- scientific uh, charts and methodologies. Like some of the other guys, the co-creators of cards are like economists and physicists, so they know how to like do the data-driven stuff. That all scares the crap out of me, but um, they know. But anyway, they know how to do that. And as a result, I could tell you that the amount of shocking jokes in the game is going to be, you know, like 15%. The amount of, like, penis jokes is going to be 10%. The amount of, like, butt jokes is 10%. But then we also have, like, world jokes about philosophy and jokes about people's worldviews. We have political jokes. We have absurd jokes. We have animal jokes. It's just feel, like, feel free to use that uh, Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump is one guy joke. Thank you. I don't know. It's a little... A little wordy, a little heavy. We would ha- it would have to become... Okay, so in order to work as a Cards Against Humanity card, you would need an actor. So the black card um, provides the context, the location, the situation, and the white card fills it in with some sort of locus of action, something that has to be able to do something. So white cards... So it's like uh, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, that would work because now you have two guys that can do something. Got it. So Cards Against Humanity uh, came about uh, all of the, uh, all of the uh, nerds uh, from Holland Park High School, came back from college, and uh, we were hanging out in our parents' basements, probably in my parents' basement on uh, Barbary Road. Fun fact about Barbary Road yes. for those in Highland Park, if you're ever there uh, around October 31st, great house for Halloween. That's a street for Halloween to be remembered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I always knew that I had the map of who gave out the big candy bars and who gave out the toothbrushes on the block. We had uh, we had one apple lady. Apple lady? Yeah, she would give you apples. Wow. Uh, we'll uh, follow up and get that house later, so I can submit that as part of the podcast. Okay, yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to egg her. I think we got to go back. I think we had time to open this, uh, reopen the uh, the chapter on this. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the nerds were <clears throat> home for the holidays, and uh, you know we just had like a long. I don't know. We've always going back to middle school, elementary school. We've all been friends with each other, and we've made games and made jokes and made all, just weird stuff. Never. It never occurred to us that we could share it. It never. We never had any intention of sharing of sharing with other people, of making money on it. And none of that was part of the equation at all. But we just made this thing that was like um, it started. We were playing this game, Dictionary Dabble. Do you know that game? Yeah. Um, so yeah, cards came out of Dictionary Dabble, and we sort of like played it enough that we learned a lot of the words. So we couldn't play that anymore, and then we started making our own sort of Dictionary Dabble questions. And then we tried to play that with other people, and we realized they were having trouble writing the answers. So then we were like, well, we'll write the questions and the answers. Right. And then we had cards, basically. I mean, it was it started off as like everything was a question, and then we added the fill in the blanks. Who in the group went, hey, let's put this on Kickstarter, or let's make a lot of money. Let's so, distribute this. So the original idea to actually try to make this was uh, David Pinsoff's. And um, uh, I said when, da- when it was David suggested, hey, what if we tried this? What if we wrote, you know, all these cards? So we wrote the questions and the answers, and it was all funny. I said something to the effect of, that will never work in a million years. If you make everything funny, nothing will be funny, and we shouldn't even try to make this is a horrible idea. So to David's credit, he was like, nope, we should try it anyway. But to my credit, after we made it, and it was really good, and we play tested it, and everyone laughed a lot, um, uh, we did played it at like a New Year's party with like a bunch of people and went went over very well. Um, I was I, I uh, to my credit I, I I was like we should put this online we should make a website for this. So we never had any intention even then of like selling it of doing a Kickstarter like that wasn't ever really part of the math. But we just had this website where people could go download the game as a PDF. We were like this is funny like we made a thing that might make people laugh and we want to like share that. And uh, it, we never thought that it would grow beyond that. But uh, you know, essentially after a while, like lots of people emailed us and, and they were like, oh, I, I want to play this game, but I don't want to print it out on my home printer. I don't want to do all that work. Would you just sell me one that's already cut? That would be a lot of black ink for those black guys. would be a lot of black ink, yeah. yeah. Well, we had form, we, form, we did like I a know, special home format where it was like supposed to be like a little easier on the ink. But yeah, it was a, it's a huge pain in the ass. And actually, even to this day, we still offer the whole game as like a print and play for free at home. So that brings us slightly or close to current day, yes. correct? I mean, what has happened since then? Obviously, it exploded. It caught on. People love it. It's really it's a household name now. It's one of the. It's probably the most popular tabletop card game, mm. aside from euchre. Maybe I'll take it. I don't know. That's I've, probably not true. I don't think that's true. But uh, so what happened in the intervening years? So we uh, we did a Kickstarter. The Kickstarter was funded. We used that money. We did a first after the Kickstarter. We took the profits. We did a first printing that sold out. We took that money. We did a second printing that sold out. 
we took that money, did a third printing, that sold out. And then at some point we were just a business, I guess. It was like a company. Yeah, so you kind of fell into it, I guess. I mean, that process of the first printing, did you panic or was it, let's just call up a printer that we can find on Google or something? Uh, the entire process was a panic attack from beginning to end. In fact, we were, we were doing a piece of writing the other day and we were trying to find some old, you know, some of these old emails and stuff. And we were like going through these all these old emails and it was like, it was so funny. It was like we were we were yelling at each other, and we were like, at one point we had this lawyer who was helping us with something that was like not I don't even know what the hell we were worried about, but we had talked to this lawyer of someone was, could we make a joke with a celebrity's name in it or something? And someone, one of the guys, emailed the group and was like, "Do we have to give the lawyer like equity in the company?" And we we're like, "What?" Like, like looking back on it now, it was like that. It was we were just so naive. We had no. That, that lawyer is now doing very well without you. I'm sure. I'm sure they're fine, but it's like it was just so. It was just like I don't, we had no clue what we were doing. I mean, we we literally did after the Kickstarter. So the plan for that for the Kickstarter was we were going to print using like a union print shop in Chicago that I used on political campaigns. Um, and after the Kickstarter, uh, we asked for four thousand dollars, and we wound up getting fifteen thousand. And um, at that rate, at that sort of scale of, of printing and the amount that we needed to make, the printer was like, I can't do this anymore. Because it was like a guy, one guy who was going to do the whole thing. He's like, I can't do it. One old Italian man. He's got arthritic hands. Right? It literally is exactly true. He is an old Italian man and he uses, uh, you know, an old uh, offset press. I think legally that's the only one who's allowed to be a printer in a solo man shop now. Yeah. I, he'll be my next guest on Not Your Business. You should. I'll put you in touch. They're uh, they're my uh, friends at Breaker Press. They're they're unbelievable. They do every political campaign, every Democratic political campaign in the city, and they do great work. Great, definitely, definitely recommend them. Uh, but uh, anyhow, uh, yeah. But uh, so Rich at Breaker Press was like, "This is too crazy. I can't do this job anymore. Um, you know, certainly not at the price that we need." And so we Googled, how do you make a card game? And we were like, maybe we should try to make it on playing cards. And, and that was Ben who pushed the game and a more professional Ben Hantoot. Ben Hantoot, the, the Mr. Hantoot. And uh, yeah, so he, uh, oh wait, I see. Ben Hantoot. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, but it was a lot of sort of like making one, uh, you know, having one problem and putting out that fire and making that decision, you know, one mistake led to something else. And then eventually it just sort of came together as a, as a company. Um, yeah, it's been, uh, and then the other thing, so that's, that's thing number one is like the game got produced and we have a company thing number two is like the game's done very well. It's been the, uh, cards is the, uh, best rated top selling and most wished for item on amazon.com and has been for some time. Yeah. Even ahead of like those Sonicare electric toothbrushes. Yeah. Because those are great. Those things are good. Yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations for that. So this, I guess, brings us to the part of the not your business because that's so funny because it's not a better product than a sonicare toothbrush like that's an amazing piece of tech so like so many people had to make that thing and we just have a bunch of like dick jokes yeah i want to specify too for our listeners if you're using a regular i'm going to call them analog toothbrush uh-huh. are you get, a sonicare man oh yeah big time mm-hmm. i mean your teeth are very nice you thank have very you nice teeth. thank yeah. you very much i recommend dr Mylan in winnetka he's a great dentist i um Boy, this is getting very personal for the uh, listeners of this podcast. Well, I still go up to the suburbs too for all of my dentists and stuff because it's like those are my family. Who's your dentist? People, uh, Fenchel in Highland Park. Yeah, love love Doctor Fenchel. Did you have a orthodontist in Highland Park? Oh yes, Silverstein, Doctor Silverstein. Silverstein, know yeah. him well. Yeah, Silverstein's good family. Tan, tan family. <laughs> He's a tan man. He's a tan yeah. guy. My, He's a tan man with white teeth. My dentist, Doctor Mylan, also tan guy. I think if you're a dentist, you, you got to put money towards tanning. Uh, does, uh, does Dr. Mylan, I'm just taking a stab in the dark here, does he have a lot of chest hair coming yeah, out of his Yeah, a lot of gray chest What's hair. What's up coming? with that? Why do the dentists have so much chest hair coming out of their out of their, their scrubs? I think they get away with it, but they, instead of wearing a hairnet, they should wear a chest net. <laughs> <laughs> That's my thought. The, a full body net? The relationship I have with my dentist is also very long going. I've mm-hmm. been going to Dr. Mylan since I was two. Wow. That's a it's a twenty almost twenty five year relationship I have with this man. Yeah, it's a he's a great guy. It's worth going up to the suburbs, right? And yeah. like also like all the I will say also uh, not to be like a piece of shit about it, but like the dentist office in the suburbs are so much nicer. Yeah, it's just when I go into a dentist office in the city or like I drive by them, I'm like 
this looks it does not look like a medical facility. They look kind of shady. Well, and a dentist, in Highland Park, they're very nice. They're like, I don't know, it's suburban. It's like, I guess that's what people pay for. I think a dentist is a gray area. You yeah. can think of it like a medical institution or even only 50 or so years ago, it was like going to a barber. Yeah, it's like a car wash for your yeah, mouth. on the yeah. corner shop. Although I do really appreciate that a dentist cleans your teeth. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you go to the doctor, he doesn't give you a shower. You know, it's, <laughs> they, 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 they don't do the things anymore that they yeah. used to yeah wash me down doc yeah yeah <laughs> give me a cleaning yeah check take me. all my blood out <laughs> clean it <laughs> clean it put it back in yeah what am i paying for just charge it to my insurance yeah <laughs> yeah i'm at my deductible yeah uh, uh no my insurance covers a full blood cleaning yeah <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, so this is exactly what the podcast is about, not your business. And this mm-hmm. is where we're going. Okay. Right now you run this business and it's extremely successful. And so you've had a lot of opportunities. Can you talk a tiny bit about things that aren't a core competency of the business? Mm-hmm. And when I say core competency, I mean every business has their basic thing that they do. Sonicare sells toothbrush. Many varieties of tooth cleaning products. Mm-hmm. By the way, Sonicare is really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you make a card game but there are mm-hmm. other things you now, do. can i tell you the fact i know about sonicare yeah this is what it. my dentist this is what dr fenchel told me so dr fenchel says because i have i don't think i have sonicare brand i may have like i think i might have like Braun, oral Braun b. and oral b are the other two i, I believe say. i have an oral b i don't know i have you know what i got when the one came out that has the inductive charging mm-hmm. you put it in the little cup and it charges i was like that's cool i was mm-hmm. like i'm in i, I sonicare have that. has that now so that that may be what i maybe i have that sonic it's like a white it looks like a star yeah. wars type yeah I, that's probably what i think that's what i have. so i think i do have a sonicare okay so i heard that the electronic toothbrush not actually any better that for your teeth it's the exact same for your teeth however if you have the electronic toothbrush you brush your teeth for the correct amount of time because it times you it turns you know it's like it basically buzzes to be like do you do your top do your back now Right. And then you and then it makes you go for whatever, two and a half minutes and then you're done. Whereas people who have an analog toothbrush, it works just as well. There's like no mechanical advantage to the Sonicare, but it makes you you go for it. What you're explaining right now mm-hmm. is the exact reason why women like vibrators over having sex with men. <laughs> is it's the same thing, only uh-huh. it goes for the right amount of time. <laughs> you literally just hit the nail on the head. That is the analogy. <laughs> We're going to have to use that. There you go. Wow, that's big. I wonder if um, I think that you this could lead to some uh, big advances in vibrator technology. This, Honestly. This is, a big, this is a big breakthrough in the marketplace. This is how long you I do think. the front. This is how long you do the back. Yeah. I mean, at least as an educational tool. Yeah, yeah. Get it, get it clean while you're in there, too. Well, so feel free to use that idea. These are, your, you. these yeah. are all your ideas. No, this is gold. Everything I mean, we is, generate here. This is the kind of, I think this is the kind of blue sky solutioneering uh, you know, I don't want to boil the ocean here, but I think this is the kind of uh, productivity and life hacks that people listen to this show for. I hope so. Yeah. It's all up for grabs. Yeah. Um, you're a card game mm-hmm. and you do so much else. Yes. Tell me two things. What else does cards do? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Because I know from just following the brand and being a Chicagoan even, a lot of the political stuff that you guys have done, there's some cool little, I would say pranks, but maybe they're more social uh, activities. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you have done, and what are the things that you're interested in doing? So I would say one of the one of the big ones is uh, okay. Well, I'll just preface this by saying like Cards does all kinds of crazy shit, and it's kind of in two categories. Category one is marketing stunts, essentially like things we do to get attention for Cards Against Humanity, um, and this is something we've had to do because you know if you look at the market. Can I be kind of businessy, or is that an? That's, is that that's half this podcast. It's half half of this okay. podcast is who are your competitors? Okay. What's your growth? And the other half is right. vibrators. I'm, as I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna business it up for a second. I yeah. apologize. Please do to all of the listeners that I'm going to say this. So if you look at the industry that we're in, right, um, it's a huge industry. There's a lot of players, and in general, not not I don't think this is true for cards, but in general, there's not like all that much differentiation in the market, right? So you have a lot of people making games and people really the American consumer only buys games in the holidays. So Q four is when all the toys and it's called the toys and games industry. So Q four is when all the toys and games get bought. And unless you have like a tickle me elmo or, you know, something like that where it's like you can't just get any doll, you have to get that doll. You can't just get any game, you have to get that game. 
in general, when people go to buy a game, they just buy whatever game has the coolest art that's like available at the store that day. And we and and the way that that works to, <clears throat> to get into the marketplace where dad will see the game at the store, you have to have a publisher. And then the publisher publishes the game and puts their imprint on it and does all the work. And then the publisher contracts with the distributor and the distributor does the retail deals. And then you have to be in retail and the retailer decides to give it shelf placement and put a sticker on it or whatever. Uh, now, the retailer takes 50% of MSRP of whatever the game sells for. The distributor takes 50% of what's left over after MSRP. The publisher takes 50% of that. And then you, as the person who made the game, on in a great deal, you could get 2 to 10% of MSRP for each game sold. I, 10% is like unheard of. 2% is pretty good. Um, plus some money up front when you when you initially make it. And so this landscape sounds more like it's ignoring the internet. Element. That is turns out to be the key element, right. yes. Um, but also it's inefficient, right? It's like what value, really, unless the only way to like get games or whatever is in a store, what value do all these people add? Because they're taking most of the profit. So we, not only did we, we just never had a publisher and distributor, I don't think we could have had one because when we started working on cards, the game was so crazy. We marketed it as this like, you know, inappropriate, you know, comedy game. Like who's going to publish that? That can't be sold in the store. So it never occurred to us that we could have a publisher. We didn't know that's how the market worked. It just wasn't, we never thought about it. It was just, oh, obviously we have to figure out a way to do all this stuff ourselves. Um, so we published the game ourselves. We distributed ourselves. We're not in retail. We only sell it online, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But now that we have done pretty well, like we, we look back to like four or five years ago, you know, right when we did the Kickstarter and we were like, what were all the things that we wish existed back then? So one thing is, um, a way to get independent games into retail, because if that existed, we, we would have loved to have been part of it and not had to have all those, you know, sort of like leeches in the middle, taking all of the value out of the game. Um, so that's a project we're working on is like being able to like retail the game ourselves without a distributor and get right into stores. Very cool. And you're referencing even giving other indie game producers opportunities to cut out the middleman and potentially distribute directly to consumers. Exactly. And so that's so that's probably our biggest side project is this new company called Black Box. And Black Box is uh, it's like the basically it's the company we wish existed when we started cards. So the first thing Black Box does, it's the main thing is it's a shipping company. So if you sell something online and you need to get the thing to the person, we'll ship. We have we don't ship it. We have a network of warehouses all around the world that will ship it for you. At and what's cool is not only do we do all of the work, um, do the customer service, ship it, deal with the returns, the tracking, all that kind of nonsense. It's actually cheaper than if you did it yourself. Paying us to do it is actually less money for you than if you did it out of your own house. I really like the name of the company. Isn't it a good name? It's like a triple entendre because yeah. black box like cards. Yep. Like the actual cards box. Yep. That, and you do. Yep. And then a black box is when something goes into it scientifically and it comes out. You don't know what it is. Yep. Yeah. Black box, like uh, that was what we intended was like, it just works. You don't have to worry about yeah. the, all the details of what warehouse, where, how, when. It's just, you give us your thing. You tell us how much you want to sell it for. And, and it, do and it you ships. do retail of it as well? Um, we, so yeah, so we have now a network of uh, over a hundred stores that sell Cards Against Humanity and these are not chain stores like Target. This is mom and pop game stores all over the country and that's like our test market, but we're going to get, it'll get much bigger from that. So a hundred is sort of the, we went first, it was two and then it was 10 and then it was a dozen, right? And now, and now we're sort of pushing, pushing, pushing. And, um, you know, I would guess by the end of the year, 500 stores, 1,000 stores, who knows? Very cool. Um, but yeah, so the, but what's cool is <clears throat> we're opening this up to other people. So people who do Kickstarters, people who do new projects, anyone who's starting a business where they need to get something into their customers' hands and they don't want to give up more than half of the value of what they're doing, you pay Black Box tiny fee. We're not, we're not a middleman. We're not like the publisher. We don't take 50% of your game. We don't have a contract with you. It's just a shipping service. It's like, it's like going to the post office. Yeah, that's a great... That's a need that's, that is existing or is starting to widen, especially as the marketplace changes because with Amazon or with Etsy or with all these places where you want to be able to produce and, and not have to worry about retail, it, mm -hmm. it makes so much more sense. That's very cool. Yeah, and you know the other thing is like, so to, to go back to a few minutes ago when I was saying like, <clears throat> you know, not, you know, in, in general, people want to go to the store and they just want to get a game for their kids or whatever. That is not true of Cards Against Humanity. People don't want any game. They want Cards Against Humanity, right? They don't want just any card game. They want the exact brand that we're selling. 
And I think that's the the big thing that's going to change with the internet is like everything will be more people are becoming more brand conscious and there will be more brands. There that used to be early 20th century you would go out and get a very specific kind of comb or vase or pair of pants because there were so many indie types of the Right from your town right the guy in your city who made the thing it just wasn't mass area. distribution like that. Right. So, and I think that's where it's trending is like, you know, it, it, the way, you know, people are panicked that the sky is falling. Oh, the record labels are going out of, are going under the music industry is going to collapse. The it's harder to sell games you know, game publishers are going under the ga video games are going to collapse. We'll still have, it's like, or, or the newspapers, right? Newspapers are going under or the news is going to collapse. There, there may, I don't know. There may not be newspapers in the future. That business may not work. There will be news. Like, trust me, people will get facts about the world and someone will own that business model. But prop, I think, I guess like Black Box, the gamble that we're making is that the way it's going to work is it's going to be independent creators who make a thing and then sell it directly to their audience. Yeah, that term freelance also used to be such a dirty word and now it's so common and not a negative thing. People make a lot of good livings off of strictly being freelance. Absolutely. So, so that's one big project that obviously is meant to help other people. I mean, <clears throat> you as an individual, Max Temkin. Yes. Your background is in politics, or that was a huge passion of yours, and you transferred to philosophy. It seems like Cards Against Humanity has taken several very specific stances on policy and also integrating with the social and political environment. Can you talk a little bit about how that is related to cards or maybe not? I know you said some of the cards are political in nature. Yeah. But so, it's a card game, right? Yeah. So so that's so um, I was saying a minute ago, like broadly cards, uh, when we do projects, they're kind of in one or two categories. It's either a marketing stunt that sells the game or it's kind of in the category of like, this is a good thing to do that we wish existed in the world. And now we have like money and people's attention and we can kind of do that stuff. We can be like, a, you know, like a crazy rich person who does something like collectively we can be like a crazy, a crazy rich person. Cards Against Humanity is a crazy rich person. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's I kind of the persona of the company is like, what are we? It's like, you know, it's like the all the creators of the game have done well. Like we our staff is is gets paid well and you know it's like the game is very profitable so we get to do dumb stuff with our money and make people laugh that's the whole reason to be in america i think uh to some degree i mean certainly it's like you know i think i i don't know i think it's like uh i i've never understood that desire to just have more and more and more well I, well I, I the reason that i say that mm -hmm. it, it, not in a tongue-in-cheek way mm -hmm. is that i think in america with the strong roots of capitalism you vote in America through political campaigns, but the biggest way you vote is with your dollar. Right. And so when you make a lot of dollars, you have a strong opportunity to say, I really care about this project, or I think this would be a really fun thing to exist. I have the ability to do it. And there are very few other places where I think that's so prevalent. Yeah, to, I mean, you know, the, the America is all about like the church of capitalism and the good people who work hard succeed and they, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the weak people who take from the government they don't succeed and then they deserve what they get i mean that's all nonsense like there's so much uh, so many aspects of privilege and luck that play into that but anyway it's just like past a certain point it's like you know all the cards guys we're we're doing fine you know what we we we've all been very successful off you know off of the game and after a certain point it's like if you're if you have enough to like pay your rent and buy food and i have like i just i got a new computer i got like an awesome laptop it's like what it's like what does it do for me to like have to i don't know it's like uh, this is my own personal belief i guess at this point but it's like what you know after a certain point it's like it's just some number that goes up in your bank account and it's like i'm already living the good life that i want to live so right. it's like do you know you know what what does it change for me so it's way more fun to get to put silly things out in the world and 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 you know um sometimes that comes back to us as well but anyway so broadly that's sort of the second category of things that card does cards does and i would say like the main project under that banner would be uh the office that we're in right now so this is uh, in, uh this um uh this great big sort of warehouse space in bucktown and we turned it into a co-working space um there's probably about maybe 70 to 100 people who share the space and that could those are mostly creative people so uh comedians artists designers writers um uh, journalists do you have any serial killers that work here probably statistically i think yes probably one in 70 that's yeah. america yeah right that's what i, I mean, was just mentioning yeah yeah for those listeners that that uh, uh want an objective view because i don't work in this space this is a very gorgeous 
office. And the studio we're recording in is a really beautiful co-op studio. I'm part of this Chicago podcast co-op. That's where you're listening to this podcast right now. But also there's a beautiful theater and you put up various events. How, yeah. how can people find out about events or get more involved? Uh, people can go to, if you're in Chicago, you can go to cardsandinstrumentd.com slash Chicago. Uh, and we're, we're also like making a push this year to do more live streaming and get that stuff online because the idea is like we want to build community in Chicago. We want to make opportunity for people in Chicago. But we also have a big international audience like people from all around the world are interested in the stuff that we do. So if we say, hey, this comedy is really good. Check this out. People listen. They trust us. They listen to us. So we want to try to use that to our advantage to be like, you know, get, you know, like like yourself and, and interesting people. And I'm an interesting person. Yes. And yeah, interesting, funny comedy voices in Chicago and uh, put them on stage and, and be like, here, we're, we're count, you know, we like this, like pay attention to this because that creates opportunities for, for other people as well. Absolutely. The, um, the various other things you guys have done that you say reference specifically as marketing stunts or whatever to get, to get attention to sell the game. Some of them are highly political in nature. Yes. Sorry. Do, I forgot you, about that part. No, of that's okay. Right? I was going to say, do you want to answer or just talk about some of the policy or, uh, points of view that clearly the founders of cards all share? Yes, absolutely. So uh, over the years, uh, so like every year, um, generally we, uh, we've we done some sort of holiday stunt uh, or, or sort of subscription thing that people will give us money for. And then we take some of that money, uh, actually all of the profit, and we give it to a nonprofit partner. And th this raises a lot of money, like in some cases, like, you know, a million plus dollars. Wow. Um, so, uh, over the years, I'm just trying to think back. So the first organization that we supported was the Wikimedia foundation. So this is the website that makes the infrastructure and the software for Wikipedia. And we like that because like, who doesn't benefit from Wikipedia? It's like probably the it's most like the fifth most visited website. It's, it's just the most pure expression to me of like the collaborative open nature, like how powerful that is on the internet. And also I like that it makes information freely available to everyone. You know, you don't have to pay for an encyclopedia to use Wikipedia. So that's cool. People forget how much of a pain it was when we were kids to, like, look something up, right, before yeah. Wikipedia. Um, so that was their first one. Then it was um, – man, I can't remember. Then I believe it was donorschoose.org. So this is, like, a Kickstarter for classrooms. So teachers can um, ask for school supplies or, or ask for money to do a project in their classroom. But this is public schools in the U.S., and then anyone can go in and fund these projects. So, for example, a kid, a teacher might say, I want to read Harry Potter with my, you know, third grade class. We need 10 copies of Harry Potter. I need this much money. And then you can go in and, and give money for that. And what's cool about Donors Choose, the organization, is they actually are the middleman that will procure the books and get it, them for the teacher. And oh, then wow. they, because they do so much of that, they have, like, great rates with the publishers and all the school supply equipment. And they can get all that stuff at the best price. So You have a unique relationship with middlemen in general. I do, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I like, I like middle, I like people who insert themselves into a process. I like simplicity. Like I'm, I'm a designer that, that is the trade that I do for cards. So I'm always interested in, in a system design and a game design or a graphic design or whatever. What's the most you can take away where it still works? Because that's beautiful to me. So, and that applies to my, when I look at a system like donors choose, right? So it's like, would donors choose, you know, in the system of board games retail, if you took away the publisher and distributor, would people still get to play the game? Absolutely. You wouldn't miss them at all, right? All the value is still kept in that relationship. The publisher and the distributor don't do anything. In the case of donors choose, would the relationship work if you took donors choose out of the middle? A absolutely not. They're adding tremendous value to the classroom. So that's a case where like, or like black box is a middleman as well, right? Like we're shipping stuff for people. Would it work if you took us out? No, because then they'd still have the problem of they couldn't ship their thing. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm just interested in like you peel away as much as you can and you're, you're left with the essential nature of, 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 you know, the expression of, of the values of the project. So donors choose, I, I just, I adore that. And here's the best part of donors choose. So if you find, this is amazing, go on donors choose, put your address in, sort by schools with the highest poverty level. And you'll find, I mean, sometimes quite sad projects, teachers need pencils and pens and basic, very fundamental basic school supplies. But if you give, I believe the cutoff is like $30, $35 or more to a, a classroom project, the kids will write thank you letters to you and send them to you in the mail. Oh, that's great. It's it nothing. 
will turn your day around. Like getting thank you letters from kids being like, thank you for buying these books for our classroom. Like That's it's like, really nice. it's like, uh, like I've never tried heroin, but I feel like it's pretty much, I feel like it's on, on yeah, pace with that. Of like, it's gotta be like heroin. Yeah. Instant, instant high. Like, yeah. ah, that feels so good. No, that's great. So donorschoose.org? Donorschoose.org. Uh, and then some of the other ones we've done, um, uh, we give a bunch of money to WBEZ. We gave a bunch of money to the Sunlight Foundation. That was a good one. The Sunlight Foundation is a group that uh, lobbies for government transparency. They post public documents and um, camp, uh, uh, fundraising records for politicians online. Um, so we love that. Uh, but in general, it's like what's fun, what, what ties all these things together? Buying school supplies for teachers, funding Wikipedia, government transparency, public radio. This is like boring, dry bullshit that nobody wants to think about. And everybody can be. Yeah, no water parks? You haven't done yeah, that? Yeah, no, we haven't built Ice Town yet in yeah. Chicago. But it's like these are like boring issues that nobody cares about. It's so easy for everyone to be a free rider on these issues, to be like, I don't need to fund NPR. Everyone around me will fund NPR. I don't need to fund Wikipedia. Everyone around me will do it. I don't need to support my neighborhood classroom the government will do it, right? It's like, these are all things where there's a free rider problem where everybody gets tremendous value out of Wikipedia being great, out of public radio being great, out of donor shoes being great, out of having information about how much, how our, who funds our political candidates and who's buying influence in Washington. But these are, it's very hard to raise money for those issues. Like those are all organizations that struggle to get the attention and the funds that they need to do the critically important public job that they're doing. So it's uh, that's part of the sort of like editorial voice or the political view of cards is like, well, we have money to do this and we just get to unilaterally decide what the cause is and we're gonna come in and support a cause that, that really benefits um, from not only like the money but the attention and that if we didn't do it, maybe no one would step up. Right, no, that's great. That's absolutely the reason to take success with cards and do other things. Yeah, it, 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 it feels good. What are you working on as far as games? I know you just released uh, Secret Hitler. I don't know if that is a secret. Yeah, no, 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 about no it's, Secret out. Hitler. it's out. Uh, Can you tell me just, I mean, what's the process of working on other games or doing other things? Is that part of cards? Is that you alone? Is there a Hitler living that we know? <laughs> Talk to me about Hitler here. Uh, so Secret Hitler. So I, post uh, Cards Against Humanity, I uh, the company has made cards and then all these expansions and other products in the Cards Against Humanity sort of family. But Cards is very successful, and we're we have like laser focus on this one line of products. And it's there would be kind of dumb for us to change that right now because of how well it's doing. Um, but I have an interest. Like I want to keep making stuff. Like I want to make other games. I want to make other ideas. I want to keep my you know the the. I don't want to like just you know, rest of my laurels and like work on this one stupid. How many laurels are you game. friends with? Boy, I feel like I should know some laurels, but I, don't I know, know one is laurel. Is it an old lady name? There is a laurel who's a performer in Chicago and she's a very funny lady. Okay. So no, wait, if, I do know one laurel. If you, if you meet one more laurel, you can rest on your laurels. Could rest on them. Uh, um, I might cut that joke out of this podcast. <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty good. <laughs> Not pretty good. Okay. Thank you though. Uh, so you like there? creating other things? Oh yes. Right. Did you do this with any of the original founders, or you did this? On no. Your own? The, so all the games I've made postcards are with different groups of people, and I get I, just something I've like learned about myself. Um, I get a lot of energy out of like working with new people. Like it's like new, you know. I I'm not a solo game creator. Like I don't really. I don't really necessarily like believe in this idea of like the auteur artist who like has the vision and then carries it out themselves. I don't, I, I'm personally can't do great work in that environment. You're like, a collaborator. Yeah. I need people to like, I like like ripping apart other idea, other people's ideas. I need people to rip apart my ideas. And I think there's like, I like the conflict of working with other people. I get energy from that. And then as long as that can be like productively channeled into like a, like something that's high quality, um, that sort of like team of rivals thing, I think, is 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 a good. That's that's sort of the the right creative energy that I need. Um, so I've gone. I've worked with other people. So I did a, another game with the creators of Humans vs Zombies, totally different group of people from Cards, called Slap Forty Five, and that's like an old Western slap fight kind of a game. Cool. And, uh, that that was a Kickstarter did pretty well, and then actually just last week uh, we finished up the Kickstarter um, for a new game called Secret Hiller, and I, that is a game I co-created with two people who I started working with because they shared the office with us. So that's a case of like card started this office. We invited all these cool people here. You know, we, people were having lunch with each other, meeting each other, seeing each other's work. And the three of us came together and, and came, you know, sort of put this game together and uh, it did quite well. It raised uh, like one and a half million dollars on Kickstarter. Nice. Yeah. Not, not bad. bad. Not bad. So 
things that are not your business? Because so far, all we've talked about are things that you are doing. Mm. Are there businesses that when you were younger or even now, you're like, I wish I was doing this. This is something I would want to do in the future. Do you want to own a hotel for dogs? Do you, I mean, we, you made a joke about an ice. Oh, the, uh, the ice palace yes. from, uh, uh, parks and rec, but just in, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But just in your experience, I mean, you mentioned that you're a huge comedy nerd and that you love that sort of stuff and you're clearly very, uh, focused in what you're doing now, but I just wonder things that are not your business. What would you want to be doing? Ar- uh, architect well, astronaut? Well, that's a very interesting question. I, so the first thing I'll say is I feel very, very lucky that I mostly get to do what I want to do. Uh, yeah. Like if I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I want to do whatever I want to today. I'm like angry. I read the news and I'm mad and I want to do something political. Like I have the opportunity to go work on that. If I just want to write some jokes and screw around, I can do that too. If I want to des- you know, work on the computer and design something, I can do that too. So I not only, I get a lot of variety in my work. I have a lot of control over my destiny. Like I'm in a very privileged position and that is really cool. There's not, there's not like a day that I wake up and I don't come into work and I'm like, this is awesome. Like I just get to do something fun today that I, I, I enjoy every day. Um, in terms of man, when, so when I was a kid, I really wanted to be a ghostbuster that did not pan out yet though. Yeah. We don't know for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be pretty surprising if it did pan out. There's though. there's nothing wrong with the answer. I'm living my dream, Jake. You could say that, Max. That's well, fine. Well, who? But I mean, listen. Like I there. So so that's the one side of it, right? Is like I'm very happy. But there's other days where I'm like, I wake up and I'm like, man, I would love to just not go to work and go to school and get a graduate degree in philosophy. Or I've also thought like weirdly. Uh, when I worked in political campaigns, everyone who I really admired had a, a law degree. And I always, in my head, I was always like that there's some power there of like, yeah. you get, you become a lawyer and you get these like powers. Like you learn how to like manipulate the world and in ways that aren't available to mere mortals. So there's also been times in my life where I'm like, man, I don't want to do this. It's like, it's overwhelming sometimes. It's like, I don't want to, how simple would it be if I was just like back in school and all I had to do was like do my classes and get grades and stuff. Right. So I've thought of like, I have that fantasy of like, maybe I just won't show up to work one day and I'll like go to law school. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's very cool. Yeah. Um, have you thought? What, what about you? I, I get. What are your? What are your? It's episode one. This I feel is like my, I had to get a turn it back on you. What are your? What would you do? This is a good telling podcast as a reference to what I'm currently doing. Mm-hmm. I am equal parts business enthusiast and man of that world as well as comedian and actor. Nothing funnier than uh, business. Nothing funnier than like a, like a good. Uh, 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 P&L spreadsheet. Oh, Ooh. profit, loss. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. It's, I mean, you mentioned Hilarious. comedy comes from tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, my cur- plus first rule of comedy. You got to lead with the F's and B's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my current day job is I work for a financial software company. Okay. And the company's software actually helps businesses do research on other companies. So, so much of my day is talking about and diving into organizations. So I, I have a business background, but my whole mindset is very interested. When you went into the world of here's our marketplace and the competitors and the development of the industry, all that stuff excites me and interests me a lot. Uh, in high school, I had a business and we sold t-shirts. Oh, that's right. You know what? I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I For listeners of the podcast, this was a huge fucking deal. Can I... <laughs> Is, can I just grab, can, I mean, sure, it was sure, a big yeah. deal. It was like, I mean, Highland Park is like anything. It was a small town and there was a lot of gossip. Who is the other partner in that? Greg Kaplan. Yeah. Yeah. Greg currently co-owns another cool different business, right? What now. does he do? It's called Remote Year. It's mm-hmm. where if you want to spend a year traveling the world, he organizes it all for you, but you keep your job and you have business hours from nine to five, wherever you are. So it's like a team tour for a year, but you're doing a job, your normal day job. You're doing a year remotely. Wow. It's an interesting concept. He's yeah. just wrapping up his first year, and I think it's going well. Cool. Yeah, but uh, man, that was a huge deal. You guys were in North Brookport? Is that North right? Brookport. It was a, so it was a little after my time. Like, I was already off to college when this it blew was, up. Yeah. But man, there was so much. People were so fucking excited and happy for you guys, and it was it was like, it was like gossip. It was like, I was like, this shirt business is like blowing up. It was, tiny, people were- Tiny shirts. Yeah, people were- 
it was a big deal. It was fun. It yeah. was fun. I mean, I've always been really excited by business and all that stuff. And so mm-hmm. it, it's cool. What, so what happened with that? Where did we it? We closed it. When we went to college, we closed it down. I think we contemplated trying to sell it to E Street Denim or some random yeah. boutique store like that. But uh, it's hard to sell a business, especially if you don't have a lot of years under your belt. If you've only been around for two years, there's no value in your brand necessarily. I mean, unless it's so explosive and, and so international like this is, as an example. Um but no, we went our separate ways. I mean, I went to school in Boston. Greg went to school at Michigan. And so it's hard to manage a business like that. And we shuttered the doors of what the business was called Crazy Cargo. That's right. <laughs> but but um, but I'm now in Chicago, not just because I'm from here, but also a huge portion of this is the thriving improv scene. And I'm very involved in the improv community. And I love this comedic world of Chicago. I actually had a question for you because you alluded to the fact that you had no comedic training when mm-hmm. you went into cards the game is hilarious mm-hmm. i mean so much of the success of the game isn't just the structure behind it because there's nothing quintessentially revolutionary about the idea of matching questions yeah the right? game's not good it's the it's the execution is is good yeah so, so have you since then taken any classes been involved i mean you hang out with comedians you and i are here right now yeah but the game's funny well not Really, I guess. I mean, I think what happened was, um, you know, for the eight of us who who work on the game, like we have that Jewish comedy writers dynamic of like we're very candid with each other and we call each other on our bullshit and like it's like the, the we would sort of pick each other apart and get in each other's heads and I, that sounds miserable to people, but it's not. It's fun. It's there's good energy to that. Yeah, and this is this game is allowing goys to make fun of one another like Jews do. Essentially, a little bit. Yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. I never thought of that. That is kind of interesting, but. Uh, yeah, we uh, so I would say the main thing is like just learning to improve to raise our own standards of writing. So when we wrote the first version of the game, like it was not great. Like the version that was on Kickstarter, like I look back at that and I kind of cringe of like, boy, some of those jokes were just like low hanging fruit, just like stuff that we took from TV shows, you know, whatever. Like you cobbled together whatever 500 jokes and we were happy to have it. But since then, I think we've really pushed ourselves. Like every joke in the game, we're like, does this joke have a point of view? Do, do we feel comfortable? Stand, do, will we stand behind this joke if someone is offended by it or doesn't like it or whatever? And I think the, like the quality of the game, the difference between if you... and we, So we, we revise the game all the time. We take out old jokes and we put in new jokes. So the quality of the main game has is almost completely different than when we originally published it. We've like... It's like a ship of Theseus situation where we've like taken it apart piece by piece and is it the same ship? But also like the new expansions that we've written are like it's some of the first stuff where like the I mean now we're like five years in or whatever but we finally were writing some things where I'm like that's fucking funny like that's like this is the first version of it where I'm like I feel very good I feel like this piece has like a wor- it has like a point of view to it so and that's great. Here's a part of the podcast where I give you some business advice. Are you oh, ready? Let's, let's do it. Have you thought, you got black cards and you got white cards. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about slipping in to one of these expansion packs or just uh, the next batch of the game, a single gold card? And just like Willy Wonka, mm-hmm. it would be a gold ticket. Mm-hmm. And the person who finds it would get to come to this office and live here for a year. Uh, I don't, here's the thing is that I don't want anyone who plays our game to live any in close proximity to me. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't I'm not interested in being uh, friends with them uh, for a year, but uh, we did do okay. So uh, yes, and ooh, that's an improv yes, reference. I know a little improv reference there. Uh, yes, and uh, what we did do was it's actually a no, but but uh, <laughs> uh, no, but we did do this thing where so so in our first exp- so we we first made like a tool where people could play play the game on we made this little website where it simulated hands of cards and people could click on the card they liked and we got like millions of data points of what people liked so we and we started to build like a statistical model of what cards perform well what white cards perform well relative to what black cards what do people like if they're in proximity to each other it's like we have all this crazy data now and one of the things that first jumped out at us was the most popular card in the game is the card a big black dick. And it's yeah. not just popular by a little bit. It's popular by like an order of magnitude. It's like wildly more popular than anything Who else. Who would you say is your key demographic that plays the game? Would you say it's somebody who's not black? Because I wonder if that plays a factor into it. Uh, the key demo is, I we've never actually found this out. I would assume it's like college students essentially. So yeah. you actually do think you get a pretty diverse yeah. group of people. But... Um, I'm also always surprised at who plays the game. Like, uh, 
Kim Kardashian tweeted the other day, playing Cards Against Humanity with the whole crew. So it's like, well, oh, no, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have expected that. Like, she's not really who I think of in our in our like key demo. But ah, sure, I'll See, take but, it. But I guess the race card or the element of race doesn't really matter for that sort of joke because a big black dick is kind of the holy grail of the well, world. Well, here's why: if you really want to, you know, nothing is funnier than picking apart a joke and really psychoanalyzing why it works. Well, let's but, pick apart a big black dick. Uh, so I have a theory. There's two theories about why a big black dick is the most popular card in the game. Uh-huh. Theory number one, and this the guys disagree on this. Uh, my theory is that, um, so first of all, cards, I, I don't think f- for the game to comment on like race, class, gender, I don't think that makes it racist, sexist, classist. Uh, not at all. That's why comedy's um, good. Yeah, right. I mean, in a way, like I am a big proponent of it is appropriate to laugh. at th- Those are funny things that racism, sexism, you know, class issues, they're kind of absurd that speaks to the absurdity of the human condition and that uh, we don't have to like them or endorse them or think that they're good, but laughing of them, laughing at these things, it, it, it's kind of empowering, right? Like if a bad thing happens and you laugh at it, it, it can give you some sort of purchase on it that Again, being scared the, of the, it can't. The Jewish comedic mindset. Not, yes, not everyone, as it turns out, shares that mindset, but that's our that's our point of view on it. Um, so we do not try to write like a racist joke, but I think it's fine to write a joke that comments on race. And the re- and I think the reason a big black dick works is uh, American culture has uh, is and always has been afraid of black male sexuality, going back to. Uh, you know, like, uh, what's that uh, racist movie that was like a big influential movie? Uh, Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Uh, no, before <laughs> long for, but you know what I'm talking about? That like, yeah, it was, yeah, like, yeah. A, it was I, like a silent movie, but it was like a big deal. Sure, sure. But I know that, exactly what you're talking it's about. It's like, it's like, it's absurd. It's like, uh, it's, it's like one word. I can't remember it. Revenants. But, no, the yeah. revenant. Is it the revenant? <laughs> what the is it? It's some movie. Anyway. This is like, it's just part of our culture. So when people see that, it's shocking. It get it just grabs you by the throat. It's like this, like, it's like, wow, it's like right in your face, right? Um, you know, there's pro- there's hundreds of years of, of history to unpack there, but also like, it's funny. It makes people laugh and uh, does not just make white people laugh. It's sort of everyone, everyone can, can, can laugh at that. That's my feeling about it. Other people think it's funny because alphabetically, when we did the first expansion, we sorted it alphabetically. And then when you open the deck, the first card you saw was a big black dick just by alphabetic, just by what was first. And people got surprised by that and they laughed at it. It's like you open it up and it's a big black dick. Ah, that's funny. So those are the two theories. So then we did a card. Then it was like, well, if people like that, we obviously have to write the card a bigger, blacker dick. Right. So we did that. It was in the second expansion. And then in the third expansion, people really wanted us to write the card the biggest, blackest dick. Um, but we did not, we did some other joke because we were like, where does that leave? If we do this, like then what? You can't hit the superlative, right? Yeah. So it's like, we don't want to give it to them. So we did do was we did like a special foil version of the card, a bigger black, uh, the biggest blackest dick. It was like this like rare, you know, like a rare magic card. It was all like foiled. Indeed. And then we hid it in the packaging, the lining of the packaging of the the game box, the bigger blacker box. So you have to like cut it open with an X-Acto and like peel. Is it in every one of those boxes? The, The bigger blacker box, yeah. Oh, wow. It's like in the lid of, it's like in the lining of the box. So it was this little, it took like six months for people to find it after we released the product. That's great. And then everyone realized like they had it all. I shouldn't have thrown away the box or yeah, I had it. That's very fun. There you go. Screwed it up. Very cool. Okay. Here's another business idea. Have you thought about working on wildlife and doing a cards against Jew manatee? You get a manatee, bar mitzvah him. And then put cards against him. What about just cards against huge manatees? Yeah, but there's no religious element there. And you and I just mentioned how this I is see, a, there's see. an important political. Yeah, I like that. Okay, I think how that's about this? Good. Yeah, cords against humanity. Uh huh. You you sell cords for? for I mean, just like monster cable. Yeah. Like now we're in the gold plated cord business. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Those hey, lightning Dad, you cords. Need, you know what you need? A gold plated HDMI cord. There's nothing wrong with diversification in your product lines. Uh huh. And also playing outside of your general industry. Uh, so. I'll be honest, occasionally when we're sort of joking of like, man, like what do we do now? Like after, whenever we do something good, we're never happy about it. We're always like, ah, oh, fuck. Like now what do we got to come up with something else we got to do, right? Because we're just, we don't know. We don't have a plan. We're just like baking this up as we go. And occasionally we do have that thought of we're like, wouldn't it be funny? Okay. Wouldn't it be funny if we just uh, 
start selling cords. Like, wouldn't it be funny if we just became like we got to pick something? Like, if we just went into the cord business, or I, like, spoons, plastic spoons, silverware, it doesn't matter. What we we literally we had the idea of doing a startup that just made excellent men's socks and selling men's socks because oh, we do need a startup to do is, that. They're not good options. You either have to choose between getting nice socks or getting a lot of socks. But what if you want a lot of nice socks and you just want one kind? Like, do you have you embraced the one sock lifestyle? I am so glad you brought this up. Socks are a huge part of my life because I have hairy ankles, mm-hmm. so it's really tough ankles. for me. I have hankles. Mm-hmm. That's what I have. Yeah. I have an uncle Hank, and he's got hankles. Yeah, it is really tough to find a nice pair of socks, and I think the revolution of of good quality. Uh, uh, high-end athletic gear like Lululemon and the like mm-hmm. needs to expand to the sock brands for men. For men, where's the brand for men? For men, yeah, it's. Cra- I I don't know why it doesn't exist. Well, it, you have an it, opportunity here, and so I don't really. I pro- realistically, I probably don't have time to do this, but it's a great. It's like legitimately a good. Like I literally think someone could make a million dollars if they made an excellent sock for men, positioned it well in the marketplace, branded it. It's it's half branding brand position all that but listeners like, do it it's a good do you agree with me that like i couldn't agree with you more i also think fortune cookies have a really unique thing where they put a fortune in a cookie mm-hmm. people need to be doing that with more packaging things and nothing is more ripe than a pair of socks you would get two fortunes one in each sock when you put them on those are two fortunes man we should do this business i mean this is how this is how businesses start through uh, podcasts. that's a great idea uh so here's the deal have you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you have one sock? Have you reduced your sock? Yes. Okay. Uh, I could show you. I literally just cleaned my closet yesterday. Okay. I have a, a 41 socks. But you, but but they were all. You could wash them all, and then you just put them all together, right? Mm-hmm. They're all the same. Exactly. Model of sock. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea? How, that is a new thought technology. Yeah. Most men do not know to do this, and I understand. It's like, yeah. Do you have to spend a little bit of money on your socks to standardize? Yes. Throw out all your old piece of shit socks that don't match. You standardize one sock. It's a system. It's a lifestyle. But it's impossible to have one perfect sock unless until we now. That's what exactly. I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody, I'm now going to be a millionaire. So uh, this is the one and only episode of Not Your Business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been extremely fun to do. Thanks this for was, being this my was a, guest. This is a great chat. We should do this more often, not on a podcast. I think we will. Yeah. And maybe we'll get our teeth checked together. Yeah. That could be <laughs> I'll fun. See you at Doctor uh, Doctor Hankel's office. I'll go to Hankel. I don't mind. <laughs> I've done myelin for 25 years, and his chest hair, now that you mention it, is very real. Uh, Doc, Dr. Hankel's not any better on the, uh, uh, on the chest, on the hair. It's, uh, it's uh, chest to ankle. Yeah, chest to ankle. He's like a Yeti, a Jewish che- Yeti. Chest to ankle, Dr. Hankel. That's yeah. his like, little saying, I guess. There you go. Yeah. Um, this is Not Your Business. I'm Jake Grafstein. Max Temkin was my guest, co-founder of Cards Against Humanity. We'll be doing one episode a month, so listen in again, and thanks for listening. Thank you.